to Core Community Covenant Church with Pastors Max and Trish. Join us as we learn more about the Word of God. God bless you and welcome to today's sermon for Core 242. Uh, We are in a series on praising God, specifically with our body and boundaries. And today's topic is of a more sensitive nature for a more mature audience. So we would encourage you if there are small children around to either listen with headphones or to retreat to a place where you can have some privacy uh, due to the sensitive nature of our topic today, which is celibacy and sexuality. So as we get into the teaching today, uh, we want to just remind you in in the larger context that we paired these two together. Again, we're talking about the body and boundaries and how we can honor God with our body and and with boundaries that instead of uh, restricting us, that boundaries actually give us the the path in order to honor God uh, in a way without causing uh, destructive habits in our life. So when we talk about celibacy and sexuality, these are really opposite sides. We've been talking about the pendulum, uh, that we don't want to swing too far as far as that celibacy is the way to go. We don't want to swing, obviously, to the other extreme where everyone, you know, is having a wild party. So (laughs) we want to find God's design for the the boundaries in the middle, uh, not getting so close to the line that we accidentally cross that line but staying within a healthy, moderate space uh, with an understanding um, that God has placed limits on us as human beings and that we need to honor those limitations because God desires the best for us and he wants us to be healthy and whole and live a full life. Uh, And with that in mind, you know, just a reminder that we don't, as core, our philosophy is not to embrace legalism or extremism, we want to present the truth as scripture presents it and in discerning community. But we also just remind everyone that we all fall short and we are all under grace. So there's not going to be a single person in this listening audience who will sit back and say that I have gotten this right on the mark uh, my entire life uh, up until this point and from here on out, I've got this. Uh, we all have have erred from one extreme to the other and we our salvation comes not from checking off these boxes of having uh, the perfect sex life uh, but it comes from the grace of God and the work that Christ did on the cross from his grace covering us and granting us that freedom that we have uh, for resurrection and transformation yeah and for from the beginning I really want want to start start this off with talking about sex uh, I think it's the topic that is not addressed too much in the church. And we really felt as we um, got ready f- to have this series and ha- talking about praising God through our bodies and our boundaries, we felt that sexuality had to be addressed uh, because it is part of um, our church, part of our marriages, part of part of something that 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 is important because we can truly honor God and as as we look into scriptures uh tonight we will see that it is it was God created it, it was God created we're looking in uh, verses uh, in Genesis chapter 1 
27 and 28, um, I don't know if... Uh, if you're looking at it, this is the last day that God is, is creating things. It says, so God created men in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in numbers. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the air and over the the living creatures that moves to the ground and God saw all that he had made. I jumped to verse 31 and it was very good. So he created men and woman and then he created intercourse and he said, that's really good. It was something that was part of his plan for us and it was good. I, it's, we look at in churches, we, in Christian circles, we look at sex as this negative thing, but it's, it is what we made it. We, it's not something how God, God created uh, for us. We have this amazing gift that God has given us not only to be intimate with one another, but, but also uh, as we move on in chapter 2 when it's talking about uh, two becoming one flesh, literally... When we come together and we have the power that God blessed us with by his grace and mercy to create another human being. I, I look at my son, who's 14 years old, and just in awe and uh, humble that God used my wife and I to bring this uh, amazing child into the world. That is, we should be in awe of that and not lose, lose that. The problem is, is we turned it into a one night stands, a hookup, or even something worse like rape and human trafficking and all that other things that are so far away from honoring God. Right. And it sounds, I mean, I'm sure it probably struck ears as, as almost comical when you say that God saw all he created and he created intercourse <laughs> and he said it was good. It Again, because our minds go to the gutter, right? And it, it sounds almost perverted or whatever. But but when you look at the picture in Genesis 2, the woman is brought to the man and he says, this is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken from man. The man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. The man and wife were both naked and they felt no shame. And it, the thing is, is that that initial picture is so different mm -hmm. from what we know now and, and what we depict today and what we see in the movies and the, that it, it, again, it sounds perverted to say, but, but what we're looking at here is this incredible, that sex was designed for intimacy. It, the word in, for sex in Hebrew, when you look at Genesis 4 verse 1, it says, Adam yada his wife Eve. It's, it's to know. Mm. So sexuality was a way that we were to know each other on just an extremely fundamental level. Um, that you you knew fully your partner physically. You knew you know how to comfort them. You knew how to embrace them. You knew that you know. There's just a rhythm that comes that's supposed to be natural and beautiful, mm. not perverted. Right? There's no shame. And how many of us can say that we can enter the four walls of the bedroom and feel no shame? I mean, even people who've been married for a very long time usually couldn't attest to that because you become self-conscious of 
you know, as you age, things don't sit where they originally <laughs> sat, you know, and you got some wrinkles and, and you've put on some pounds. And, and so we become self-conscious of that. I mean, a lot of people, you know, you like, let's turn off the lights. And that's, again, here, there's this beautiful image that they haven't even gotten to that point. They're just standing side by side. And there's this complete acceptance, this embrace of just love and and he, they're enthralled and enraptured with each other in a way that they can be totally themselves, totally authentic, let their hair down, and be loved unashamed. Yeah, it's, it's again, this, this picture, it's God-honoring, and it's a beautiful thing. And you mentioned uh, chapter 4, where it talks about when he got to know her in a biblical sense. <laughs> but it's, it's, such, it's such a beautiful, beautiful part. It says, Adam laid, and this is the, the after the fall, and uh, it says, Adam lay with his wife and Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with this, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Uh, And and it's just a a beautiful, beautiful place, even, even right there, that they were able to come together and bring this new life peace, new yeah. life and peace into it well right and and god created the the sexual intimacy as a way when you see in the fall right they're initially they're naked and they felt no shame but then once they once they break that boundary and they fall into sin they realize they're naked they try to cover they try to hide they're no longer feel comfortable around god they're afraid of god but they're also there's a breach of intimacy between each other. You see that there, you know, God tells them that there will be enmity, you know, there's this division now that the woman will desire the husband, but he will rule over her. Again, not God's design, but it is the repercussion of the choices that we had made, that there, there was a consequence. And so that intimacy was broken. And now things that were supposed to be beautiful and natural take work and pain. And the woman up until that point doesn't have a name, but in verse 20, uh, she's first called Eve. And while the curse was supposed to bring death, the word Eve comes from the word that means life. Mm-hmm. And it's because she would become the mother of all the living. So you have this imagery in chapter four, where after they're kicked out of the garden, Adam actually lays with his wife and they're sexually intimate in a way to bring comfort to his wife. And that's something that's very often glossed over because we don't think of that. You know, very often, you know, the cliche is that the man is interested and the woman not so much. But mm-hmm. the reality is, is that after that incident, for there to be this drawing and closeness and intimacy together, this sense that she was desired, that he cared for her, that there would be hope and redemption. It's really this beautiful picture of how the knowing and the sexual intimacy and knowing in a biblical sense uh, brings us that, that way of praising God and honoring God, that there is, there's always a new beginning. There's always a new chance. Yeah. So as again, as we, as we, as we see it going through, through these scriptures, we see that the God created um, this sexual intimacy, sexuality for one to honor him and to bless us because when we know that true intimacy um, with our partner, it's, it becomes an amazing, amazing thing. It's a praiseworthy thing. Right. And that's, that's the first point that we wanted to really drive home is the fact that sexuality is 
a good thing. Yeah. I think in in the world it is glorified in in a way that's unhealthy, but it's the wrong picture. In the church, it's become almost taboo. You don't talk mm-hmm. about it. You don't whatever. Um, and and that is not that is not the case. When you read scripture, you actually see that sexual intimacy is this incredibly potent force, and not that it's bad, but that. It actually is so powerful that if not given the proper boundaries, if not given the proper limitations, what you see, the pattern that you see is that it can bring down kingdoms and nations that fall because of sexual indiscretions. That is the pattern over and over. And you see it with Samuel. You see the division with Rachel and Leah and Jacob. Um, you see it. Samson. Sam- um, I think I said it. But oh, sorry. David and Solomon, right? The, the yeah. pictures just go on and on and on. And again, it's not only just the men, but it's also the women who are involved in that. Um, beautifully, you actually see the opposite. You see someone like Rahab, who was a prostitute, but God Redeemed redeems her, her and she becomes part of Jesus's lineage. Yeah. And that's a beautiful redemptive story um, in that sense. Uh, again, because we tend to be on opposite sides of of the narrative, right? For a man to be around with a lot of women, he's a stud, right? But for a woman to be with a lot of men, you know, that, it, that's not how, it's not, it's more frowned upon. So when we look at that story, it's, it's just important to see that God created sex. It's beautiful, but it's also incredibly powerful and therefore it's sacred and it has to have boundaries in order for it because it can be dangerous. If, if in the wrong hands, it can be very dangerous. And the, one of the illustrations we talked about was the example of, of flames, right? Of a, of a fire. And on a stovetop, the flame is extremely useful for providing food and sustenance. In a fireplace, it provides warmth on a candle, light, right? But the moment that it crosses those boundaries, such as a grease fire or an ember that jumps out of the, the fireplace, a candle that gets knocked over and sets books on fire, like all of a sudden now, what was incredibly life-giving now becomes an out of control and it, it can reap devastating consequences. And this is what happens when we allow our sexual desires to go unchecked. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So um, we, we need to remember, it, it's, it's interesting that um, in the Bible, there's a lot of things that talk about sexual immorality. That you know, in First uh, Corinthians chapter six, it talks about that the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. So, if we even just bring in that into into this conversation, that God has made this body for Him to honor Him, and we need to remember that some of the things that we do with our body, even behind closed doors in the dark, it still it still affects our relationship with Him. Uh, so we just need to kind of remember, remember that because again, the body is is the te- the temple of the Holy Spirit, and we need to know we need to make sure that we honor God right. in that, and especially when we're talking about uh, sexuality itself. Right, For where you quoted from from First Corinthians chapter six, verse nineteen, it says, "Do you not know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, whom you've received from God? You are not your own." You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. And that's one of our first mistakes, right? Is we think that our body is ours mm-hmm. and we want to have it our way. And, and it's about us and my pleasure and my satisfaction, what I want, what I need. And we have completely disregarded the fact 
that our physical bodies are a gift from God. They're on loan. Mm -hmm. And therefore, even our sexuality uh, must be submitted to the lordship of Christ and to God's design. And that is, that's a humbling posture. Yeah. And, And that's one of those things that might anger some people right now. And they just need to take a pause, go for a walk. Uh, because it's, it's a lot to chew on, but the reality is that our culture has taught us that sexuality is a need mm-hmm. and it's a right yeah. that we are entitled to be happy and to go after what pleases us. And what, so it becomes very self-centered and that's not God's design for sexuality. In fact, sexuality, as we saw with Adam and Eve was focused on the other. So for, for true sexual intimacy, you're not actually focused on your own self and what you want and your fantasies and your, you're focused on drawing close and knowing the other and comforting, loving, embracing, satisfying yeah. the other. And, and again, I know this is mature topic, but that is, that is the reality of, of how God designed sexuality. So when we think that it is a need, a lot of people say that, you know, I have needs. Well, a need is if I don't drink water, I will yeah. die. If I don't sleep, I will die. If I don't eat, I will die. Yeah. But nobody, as far as I know, has ever has ever died from not having sex. Yeah, that's for sure. So it, sex is a want. Yeah. It is not something we're entitled to. It is not something that we deserve. Uh, it is a want. And if we don't understand that and we treat it as a need, then you feed it. Like when you're thirsty, you drink water. And if you have a sexual desire, if you think it's a need then you feel like you have to go do whatever it takes to fulfill yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. Regardless of the other, you know, other people just become a toy. They just become a tool, right? They're an, a means to an end. But if you understand that your sexual desire is just that, it's a desire, it's a want, then you understand that you have to give it boundaries and limitations. There has to be a degree of self-control because the more you feed the desire, the more the desire will consume you. Just like anything that can be addictive, right? Sugar, alcohol, all of these things uh, that can become, if they're not controlled, they can become the very things that destroy us. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to look into chapter 7 and we're going to, the key verse for for this is chapter 7, 1 through 8, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 1 through 8. And and Paul talks about this and I love how he opens up, says, now for the matter you wrote about. So just kind of pausing right there saying that the Corinthians, they were confused about these things too. That sexual immorality was confusing um, and how that should look like. So here Paul is answering to them the questions that we're all answering right now. The question they asked was, it is good for men not to marry. Uh, But since there's so much, and he's answered, but since there's so much immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. I just want to pause right there just to kind of talk about premarital sex and then biblical terms. When we look, read through the scriptures, especially in the Old Testament, there wasn't this big fancy uh, ceremonies about getting married. You got married by having sex with somebody, and that's your husband, that's your wife, and, and that so that we awkwardly stood outside the tent that, as, as you as you as you consummated your marriage. Right. So there was no premarital sex because the first person you had sex with, that's your spouse. So, and not that not that you waited. It's just the act was the ceremony yeah so when you read through scriptures it's 
if if a man takes a virgin in the field, like there's all these weird things. And he's like, well, then he has to pay the bride price, right? Because if they were intimate, they were married, and he had a financial responsibility um, to the to the family. Yeah. So I I just thought it was just very interesting. Uh, and, that's and why that's it doesn't a, talk much about premarital yeah. sex because <laughs> it wasn't that wasn't a thing the yeah. marriage and the sex were one in the same so the verse verse three talks about exactly what trish trish was just talking about the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband the wife's body does not belong to her alone but also to her husband in the same way the husband's body does not belong to him alone but also to his wife. So just pause right there. It's exactly what you were talking about. It is not a, the selfish want, but is it's an intimate uh, desire and an act of two people. It's a two people thing. It's giving not just yourself. yeah, mm-hmm. giving of herself. It's not just one person um, doing an act just because they want to feel good. It is a, definitely a two person thing that needs to be done because we want to honor. Our spouses with our body right they're they're not our own and and just highlighting too this text while it may sound very conservative from our lens was actually very revolutionary at the time because most women did not have a right and here mm-hmm. they're saying the husband belongs to the wife just as much as the wife belongs to the husband yeah. and people in this time would have read that and a lot of eyebrows would have been raised questions because yeah. this was pretty countercultural to to say that there it was a mutual exchange and that both parties respectively had to consent and you know be a part of the decision making process that was pretty revolutionary and the model the christian model of only having one spouse that was god's original design yeah but over time because of societal structures and, and other things you know you see polygamy you see all these other uh, models that came into play, which both Jesus, he says, you know, even divorce, God hates divorce, but Moses knew your evil. He compromised because he knew y'all weren't going to be able to keep yeah. it together. You weren't going to be able to stay faithful to one person. So God, again, just driving home, we all are under God's grace. God knows that these expectations for a sacred and holy life, they're very high standards, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can strive to live as closely to the model that God designed for us as possible um, and honor that and honor God with our bodies in marriage, um, being faithful to just one spouse. Yeah. So it moves on to how, how, does, a, how does a healthy uh, sex life looks like in a marriage? Does do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for time so that you may devote yourself to prayer then come together again so Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And let's pause right here because I think that's a really big part of a, about mutual consent. You know how you get mutual consent? You talk to one another. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's a, no it's, way. <laughs> it's a scary thought, but, uh, you know, as, as, a, as I mentored and as we had uh, marriage counseling and uh, individual counseling and everything else, because the church made sex such a big no no topic that even a husband and wife are scared to have conversation about these topics about sex so they have no idea the once and uh, the once and the joys of one another and maybe both of them want to do do that to satisfy each other each other's wants but since we don't talk about it we don't do it 
Right, and so they could both be just miserable. This is absolutely for, miserable. We've seen it, right? We've heard dozens of times. Yeah. Uh, because they're they're just not having the conversation and just opening the communication to say what is what is natural and normal and healthy. Uh, you know, there there's a lot of freedom within again those healthy boundaries yeah. that God has set forth. And I, I just think again that He says in verse six. This is a concession, not a command, meaning that he knows that we're not going to have self-control. And <laughs> and that being, as we go forward, you know, it says here to the unmarried, it is good to stay unmarried. And this is this is a huge thing we wanted to stay here because remember, the, the pendulum is is sexuality and celibacy. And up until now, we've been talking a lot about sexuality. Mm-hmm. But there is this giant vacuum around the word celibacy, right? Ooh, Again, we have this picture of nuns in a convent yeah, and... And it's all of us. <laughs> but the reality is that our our natural state of rest, our natural state is celibacy. We spend 99.99% of our lives, for the most part, in Not a state of celibacy. Celibacy just means that you are abstaining from the act of sexual activity. That's mm-hmm. all it means. It's not some super spiritual term. So most of us, you know, we have life. Job, we we have we have things. Sleep. So singleness and celibacy is actually you know we we've we have made it not normalized, and we really need to recover the beauty of again the opposites. You have work and rest, all of these. So yes, we are sexual beings, but we also our standard state is a state of celibacy, mm-hmm. and we have to bring that back and realize that celibacy is not a curse. Yeah. You know, people's like, oh, by choice, you know, <laughs> but it's, it's actually it a is. state where you, you function and you feel whole and complete and you are satisfied in God and you are satisfied in relationship and community without needing, uh, the, the sexual activity. And so for people who are single and not married, that shouldn't be a weird thing in the church. Mm-hmm. In fact, Paul, the rest of this chapter, he goes on and on about those who are single can can be more fully devoted to the things of God. Um, they are not distracted because again, when you're in marriage, you belong not only to God and to yourself, but to your spouse. Yeah. And, and you can singularly focus when you're single. Uh, and so we have to ask ourselves for all those people who feel this pull, like I have to find my other half or I have to, no, you have to find your, your wholeness in Christ. Mm-hmm. And be Christ, satisfied yeah. in your identity as a singular person, as a whole, um, and not always be pursuing. Because your other half, I mean, Paul says in this world, uh, this is in, uh, i got to find the verse. He says that you will have many, oh yeah, here, verse 28. He says, if you do marry, you have not sinned. I think it's funny he has to say that because they were afraid that getting married was a sin. Yeah. Uh, if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles, and I want to spare you this. In verse 35, he says, I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way, undivided in your devotion to the Lord. So in other words, there is this, just as there's a beautiful picture of sexuality, there's this incredibly God-honoring picture of celibacy. And it's not only for single people. It is also, again, even married people spend the vast majority of their lives in a state of celibacy. Yeah. I, I, two things I kind of want to bring up. For, first of all, when we talk about having that 
your personal identity in in Christ with God, that's for marriages too. We we have counseled all the time. We said, stop focusing on trying to change your spouse mm-hmm. to be a godly person. Start focusing on be a godly person. And as you get closer to God and they get closer to God, you get closer together. And I think that's that's one of the things uh, that we really wanted to kind of throw it out there. The other thing is when we're talking about being single, it's a beautiful thing, but that extreme. I, I do want to address the extreme so that way we have boundaries. I think you can do amazing things with that. But remember, you have to have boundaries in that single. That's boundary, meaning that it should be an honoring, God-honoring life. You're not hooking up. We're not, we're not encouraging your singleness. And but still, because you're non-committal. Yeah, exactly. Jumping from bed to bed. Yeah, you're, you're trying to right? you're trying to date through the whole church and see what happens. That is not okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, but it's it's we need to still honor and God in that. And Paul says, uh, he says that I wish that all men were as I am, but each man has his own gift from God. And to me, that's he's he's saying that him being single is a gift from God. Right. But it has to be led by God. Because he recognizes that most men and women are not able to have yeah. that level of self-control. And that's what he says in verse 8 and 9, right? He says, it is good to stay unmarried, but if they cannot control themselves, they should marry. For it is better to marry than burn with passion. Yeah. And, it, I mean, Jesus makes it clear that even if we look lustfully, right, we've committed the act in our mind. Yeah, he, sh- he shows us what boundary looks like. He's not saying... You crossed the line when you actually stepped out of your marriage. You crossed the line when you started thinking lustful thoughts. Right. So it's not it's not when you go on a date with somebody or go to a hotel with somebody. It's when you start texting them. It's when you're you know, it's it's those boundaries that really need to be lined up so that way the intimacy, the trust, the knowledge, the intimate knowledge that nobody else should have with your spouse. Um, that that's the goal. Right. Not outside. Yeah, and there is that old saying again, tying you know marriage and singleness. For for married couples, they say that your your sexuality is about five percent of a healthy marriage. It is such a sliver of what it takes to live a healthy whole life mm-hmm. in marriage. But if it's an unhealthy marriage, it consumes about ninety five percent of of the problem. So when you're in marriage therapy, you know there's Someone maybe has stepped out of the marriage, had an affair. There's all sorts of, you know, well, I'm just not satisfied or this or that. or we, We've weaponized sex. I mean, it just, it gets yeah. so ugly. Yeah. And, uh, you know, for someone who's who's single, you don't deal with all of that. But again, then the prayer is we all struggle with these desires and, and just normalizing the desire. I think a lot of times we feel like the desire itself is sinful. But if we go back to how we started this sermon, right? Sex was created by God. So therefore that desire was also created by God. Mm-hmm. The same way, it's not a sin for you to be hungry. It's not a sin for you to be thirsty. It's not a sin for you to be tired and need to rest. So it is not sinful to have sexual desires. What does become sinful is when we don't master those desires and we live according to those desires. We let the desires rule us and dictate our life choices around the desires rather than giving the desires their rightful place. And that is a struggle whether you're single 
whether you're married, whether you're a widow, divorced, I mean, any, any state of life, uh, those, those just are very, that's a, that's a real battle in our minds and in our hearts um, that we have to surrender to God. And we, we ask him, like, you know, Paul apparently had this incredible gift. <laughs> <laughs> the rest of us humans, <laughs> you know, we, we wrestle just to get through the day. Yeah, but there's the the good thing is that there's the Holy Spirit, there's grace, there's mercy, there's wisdom, there's accountability, there's community of the body of Christ that that has given us uh, a way out of those things. As soon as you said that, I, I jumped straight to James uh, when they, they perfectly he perfectly walks us through it. it. Says, but each one one is tempted when by his own evil desires he is dragged away and enticed then all then desires conceive it gives birth to sin sin what is fully grown gives birth to death but before that death thing happens there's a time to stop right there's a desire but there's no but you haven't done but the desire that. is not sin either yeah. i mean that's yeah there's a, that's so a separation can, we need to learn to surrender it and at the point of desire yeah and and that the hard part is is i mean <laughs> we've all been there it's it's not easy to do. Yeah. Once those, you know, passions have kicked in and there's this longing that's there. And that's where we, again, have to find our wholeness in our community and friendship, you know, and just make sure that we are finding our identity, mm-hmm. not in our sexuality, but we're finding our identity in Christ. Yeah. I, you know, Psalm 19.7. I love it. Because it it makes it with this whole desires and everything. It says, how can a young man keep his ways pure by living to according to your word? And I know it sounds very Christianese and everything else. But when the word of God is in you, when there's when there's these temptations and desires come our way, when we have to rely on what is buried in us, that the word of God, the, the hope of God, the grace and mercy that is in God uh, that we're stand on. That's what's going to help us go through those desires, because a lot of times those desires do not happen when there's some other Christians around. It's normally when you're private time, right? So that's why we do need to live the godly life. That's why we do need to have uh, the Word of God in us, the reading, reading of the Word of God, so we can be renewed and be more like Christ. And uh, I think that that's how we kind of honor uh, God in our lives in celibacy and sexuality and as men and women of God. Yeah. And one, one just thing that's on my heart, I think before we conclude is just recognizing there is a lot of woundedness Mm. around both celibacy and sexuality. Uh, Whether it's abuse that we've been exposed to or past relationships, uh, Rejection. I mean, there's there's just so many layers to this topic. Um, it's pretty deep, but I mean, we don't want to stay on it for ten weeks. It's just too heavy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's something that we need to ebb and flow and and continue the conversations and come back to. But just recognizing again the beauty of of the Christian faith is that while God has set these standards of holy living, um, He knows that we have limitations and He knows that we operate out of brokenness. And his grace covers it all. And his love is redemptive. And he can bring healing. We just need to be more mindful of the fact that so often, if, if we don't look at the truth, then we will never recognize that a lot of our desires were 
we're seeking comfort because of a wound that we have. Mm-hmm. And if we, if we treat the wound and we find healing and restoration from the wound and the brokenness, the desires can actually fade away. Mm-hmm. Not entirely. We all have desires, but whether it's hypersexual activity because you're just looking for affirmation from a partner, whatever it may be, maybe because we were abused as children, like the list just goes on and on and on. But so often, even the fantasies we bring in our marriages, we bring past relationships, there's so much brokenness and healing that's required that we we can't really experience healthy celibacy or sexuality mm-hmm. unless we pull back those layers, those wounded layers, and allow God to really bring comfort and peace and healing so that we can come into the situation with intimacy with, with someone uh, or the lack of intimacy, right? Knowing when to be intimate and when not to. That's the beauty of yeah. celibacy is knowing there's a time that you shouldn't, you shouldn't give your heart to someone. Mm-hmm. Um, and you shouldn't be giving yourself away physically. You shouldn't cheapen yourself because mm-hmm. you are worth so much more. And unless we look at that truth and we allow God to heal then we will never know how to properly engage in a healthy in healthy boundaries in this area and we won't know how to truly honor God the goal right is to be able to praise God with our whole heart our whole mind our whole soul and our whole spirit it, 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 all of who we are including mm-hmm. our sexuality mm-hmm. including our physical self yeah and I appreciate you just reaching out to those who need to hear that and uh, again, if 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 there's needs to be more conversation, please uh, reach out to us at corechurch242 at gmail.com. And uh, maybe we can continue this conversation. Pastor Trish or myself uh, would definitely love to to help you get through this time uh, of need. We, we're still one body and we're, we're here to, to serve you guys online or we're here in person. And all of your emails or phone conversations, if we have one, just know pastorally they are confidential. And whatever you need, know that you are always loved. And prayed over. And we look forward to being together with you again soon. All right. Be blessed. Thanks for joining us. We hope this teaching blessed you and brought you closer to God. Know you are loved and covered in prayer.